turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through X. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, Stand up on your feet. And at that, the man jumped up and began to walk. So this is a miracle. And God is using Paul. There's nothing magical about Paul. Anytime there is a miracle that is performed, it is because a human person is a vessel or a conduit that God is flowing through. Sometimes you can look at miracles and simply not comprehend how they could be possible. It makes no logical sense that a person who couldn't walk is now running down the street. How cancer simply disappears. And look at Lazarus, raised from the dead. But this isn't magic, it's God. And it really doesn't have to make sense. Pastor Gary will share today that miracles do still happen, and when they do, We need to point people to the source. Let them know that God is in control and is doing something incredible. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Acts chapter 13 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. The reason why the reaction is mixed among the hearers in the synagogue of Pisidian Antioch is because Paul is preaching something here that is completely foreign to the ears of Jewish people, and that is that there's actually a way to be saved other than keeping the law. Up until this point, you have to understand the whole concept of how you get to heaven and how you approach God is obeying the law. In the Bible, in the Old Testament, there are 613 mitzvot, which are laws, 613 365 of the 316, uh, sorry, 365 of the 613 are negative commandments. Do not do something. That's one negative rule for every day of every year. And so the Jews are used to the idea of the way you get to God, you approach God, you get to heaven, is you just fulfill all the laws. Paul comes along and he says, I just want you to know that you're justified freely through forgiveness, through faith in Jesus Christ, in, in terms of the things that the law could never forgive you of. You're justified through faith in Jesus because the law of Moses could not justify you. So this is strange to their hearings. And to some, it is actually blasphemous to say that you can get to God and approach God by Jesus and not by the law. So he's going to get a mixed reaction here, but he preaches justification There in verse 39, through him, everyone who believes is justified from everything you could not be justified from by the law of Moses, through him, that is Jesus. And then he warns them 
You know, don't let what the prophets have said about people who perish apply to you. You don't need to perish. Now he stops right there. He does, he doesn't offer them, you know, the sinner's prayer. He doesn't, you know, what we commonly call the sinner's prayer. He doesn't, he doesn't offer them the, you know, the Roman road to salvation, the four spiritual laws. He doesn't say, you know, confess, repent, believe, receive. He just kind of leaves them hanging there. Like contemplate this. Sometimes I think maybe we overcomplicate the gospel, but you know, this is what he does. He just presents the truth, gives them the history, preaches Christ and Christ crucified. I hope what it doesn't happen to you, what the prophet said will happen to people who reject him. And he, and he leaves it at that. Now he leaves them hanging there. So verse 42, this is where we left off last week. Verse 42, as Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. So, so it has sparked their curiosity. They're like, why don't you come back next week and, and tell us the rest of the story? And verse 43 says, And when the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them and urged them to continue, notice, in the grace of God. Now, if you compare that statement, continue to in the grace of God, with what we read in verse 39 about how Jesus will justify us from everything you could not be justified from by the law of Moses, you have in, in juxtaposition to each other the law of Moses and the grace of God, the law and the grace. And the law, as I mentioned last week, uh, Galatians 3.24 Galatians 3.24 says that the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. You see, the whole purpose of 613 laws, rules, regulations was to point out and to act like a mirror to the human heart. That we can't, we can't perform all of these righteous commandments to get to God. We, there's no way we can fulfill all 613 rules and regulations. And therefore, we need a Savior. And that's where grace enters in. So God gives his son Jesus to die on a cross, and then he offers the invitation. If you will accept my provision for you, which is that Christ Jesus died on your behalf, and he paid the price for you, and he took the penalty intended for you, it was the great substitution. It was... The life of Jesus for your life. If you will accept that by faith, if you will embrace that invitation of grace, then you'll be saved. You know, that's how we all are saved. It is not by obeying the letter of the law. It is by believing that Jesus Christ died for us and paid the price we, we could not pay. And he accomplished for us what we could not accomplish. And he dies in our place, takes the penalty, the scourging, the suffering for us. And then God says, if you believe that this is my substitutionary sacrifice for you and that I offer my son in your place, then you shall be saved. And if you ask Jesus then to forgive you of your sins, and, and you confess him as your Lord and Savior, you will be saved. For as many as believed him, for as many as received him, to them that believed on his name, God gave the right to become children of God. And so there's this wonderful invitation for us to accept Christ as our Savior. It's the same message that Paul was preaching 2,000 years ago. Jesus dies on a cross rises from the dead, proves his, his power over sin and death, ascends into heaven, and God says, if you believe in what my son has done for you, you shall be saved. Sin's forgiven, hope of heaven when you die. 
And there it is. And so the people who are hearing this are like, you need to come back next week because this whole grace message is brand new to us. You know, we've grown up under the law. We've been trying to do all the rules. And you're telling us the way to be saved is through a relationship with Jesus. Paul's like, yeah, that's exactly right. And so they come back the next, the next week. Look at verse 44. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. And when the Jews saw the crowds, these are the Jews who do not believe in Jesus, do not accept him as the sacrifice, as Messiah. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and talked abusively against what Paul was saying. And when Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly. We had to speak the word of God to you first. Since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. Isn't, isn't that interesting? No, notice what he says there. Since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life. It's an emphasis here on man's responsibility. Now, I'm going to get to the other half of that, of that equation. But for the moment, he puts an emphasis here on man's responsibility. And let me read you the literal Greek translation of the words, you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life. It literally reads, you pushed it away and judged yourself. The message is presented. The truth is presented. You've rejected it. You've pushed it away. You bring judgment on yourself. There's a responsibility that every person has in how they respond to the message of Jesus. I do not embrace this fatalistic view that some have, that Jesus only died for the elect, for those who were predetermined and pre-chosen by God, because if that were true, then you wouldn't be able to reject the message of salvation. And Paul clearly says here that you have rejected it. He's talking to the Jews who have not believed. He says, you've rejected. We're moving on to the Gentiles because you have brought judgment on yourself because you have rejected the truth. Now, again, there's another part of this equation. That's the sovereignty of God. We're going to get to it in a minute. But he says, since you rejected and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles for this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. He's quoting from Isaiah 49.6. He says, you know, this is a part of what the prophet said would happen. Our message is not just restricted to the Jews. We are called also to go to the Gentiles. So that's where we're going. Verse 48 says, when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad. Of course they were, and honored the word of the Lord, and notice, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. Now there's the sovereignty part of God's work. Those who were appointed for eternal life believed. Now the question becomes, are you appointed because you believed, or do you believe because you were appointed? This is where the tension exists in the Bible. Because the first part of what we read puts emphasis on man's responsibility. This other part here puts some emphasis on God's sovereignty. God is at work. And God is moving in the hearts of people to bring them to a place of surrender in relationship to him. And he who began a good work will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God is actively at work in the salvation of mankind, both to woo you to him and to keep you in him. 
But we can't live on the extremes. We can't say, well, it's all up to man, and, and it's all up to you to get saved and to keep your salvation, and if you don't keep it well, you'll lose it. Neither can we say it's all on God in terms of he predetermines and selects people who are his, like you pull the petals off of a daisy. He loves me, he loves me not, he loves me, and some of you he just loves, and some of you he doesn't, okay? That's that extreme. The Bible, when you take the whole counsel of Scripture, I mean, you can take one verse here and one verse there and park it at both extremes. But when you look at the whole counsel of God's Word, the tension is kept intact. Where it is both man's responsibility and God's sovereignty at work in terms of salvation. And, and so I don't need to settle that argument of, you know, which is, which is the truth. They are both true, but they both meet somewhere in the middle. And we have to be careful that we don't live in the extremes of anything, but even as it regards this doctrine. I I have people who will come up to me, and if they have a church background, all right, if they know some things about Calvinism and Arminianism, they will ask me this question. Is Cornerstone Calvinist or Arminian? All right. Now, if you if you are are not you know a churched person and you don't know what Calvinism and Arminianism means, you're better off. Trust me. All right. So God bless you for not getting weighed down with that argument that has been happening for centuries. But my answer to people is we're Calvinian. I mean, we we seriously are. There's a couple of points on both ends that I can agree with, and so we're we're somewhere in the middle. And I don't say that to try to be PC, okay? You know there's nothing politically correct about me. But I say that because I I truly believe that when you look at the whole counsel of Scripture, there is this beautiful balance that meets in the middle, that it is both man's responsibility and it is God's sovereignty at work in conjunction with one another for the salvation of the human soul. And, and so we, it, it's both. It's, it's not either. It's both. And, and so, you know, we, we don't, we don't fit into one of those, you know, five point arguments on either side of the, of the thing because we see that both are at work here and both are at work here in this passage. So verse 49 says that the word of the Lord spread through the whole region, but the Jews incited the God fearing women of high standing and the leading men in the city. And they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So they shook the dust from their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So when it was not received, what does it say here? Says Paul and Barnabas, they would bang their feet together and shake the dust off. And it was some, Jesus even said to do this to his own disciples. He said, if you go to a place where you are not accepted and they don't believe the message and receive you, shake the dust off your feet and move on. In other words, don't take anything from that place with you as you carry on. And it is a sign of judgment that will come upon them. And it is also an indication that you're not going to take their disbelief with you. You're leaving that up to God and you're moving on to the next people. And, you know, listen, if you try to share your faith and some people are antagonistic towards you, they reject it. They don't want to hear it. Okay, listen, leave them up to the Lord. Move on to somebody else, though. Don't let that stop you from sharing. It didn't stop them from sharing. They didn't go back home like, the people aren't responding to our message. Let's just go back home. 
No, they're just like, all right, we're, we're going to move to the next town. We're going to trust God to do God's work in the hearts of people. It's not up to us. We're just going to be the vessels that God chooses to use here, and we're going to trust God for the results. So, so they move on. I do want to point out, though, before we carry on to the next chapter here, I want you to notice between the, the, the passage we just read there, Acts 13, 44 to 49, the emphasis on the Word of God. just want to point out four things real quickly. First, it tells us that almost the whole city gathered to hear the Word of the Lord. Then it tells us in verse 46 that Paul and Barnabas spoke the word of God to them first, to the Jews first and the Gentiles. And then it says, number three, that the Gentiles believed the word of the Lord. That's verse 48. And finally, it says that the word of the Lord spread through the whole region. So even though some of these people rejected them, and the Jews who rejected Jesus stirred up the women and the men who were influential in the city to persecute Paul and Barnabas. The word of God still spread. Word of mouth, people got saved, and it started to spread throughout the region. So God is at work here. The church is growing. People are coming to faith in Christ. You know, it's not for nothing here. They shake their feet with the dust and protest against the city of Pisidian Antioch, and they move on. And where do they move on to? Iconium. And they're filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So here's what happens at Iconium, chapter 14, verse 1. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went, as usual, into the Jewish synagogue. Okay, that's their custom. They go first to the Jewish synagogue because they're, they're going to go first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. And there they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Gentiles believed. But... Here comes more opposition. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to do miraculous signs and wonders. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. There was a plot afoot among the Gentiles and Jews together with their leaders to mistreat them and stone them. But they found out about it and fled to the Lycanian cities of Lystra and Derbe and the surrounding country where they continued to preach the good news. So again, a very similar pattern. They go first to a Jewish synagogue. They preach. There's a great number of Jews and Gentiles who believe. Notice now the mixture was exclusive, it was exclusively Jewish for the first nine chapters of Acts. Tenth chapter, you have Cornelius, a Gentile who gets saved, and now you see a mixture of Jews and Gentiles both who are coming to faith in Christ. They're hearing the same message. Uh, but unfortunately, again, you have these Jews who do not believe in Jesus. They do not believe in the message that Paul and Barnabas are preaching. They stir up dissension and strife, and they, and they try to talk the believers out of the faith. And so they, they, there's this group that's continually following Paul and Barnabas around to try to undo what the message of the gospel. But, you know, there's always going to be resistance. There's always going to be resistance to the truth of the gospel. In one shape or form, one of another kind. It, it, people will oppose the truth of Jesus. It happened then, it happens today. Okay? It's either going to bring revival or riot. When you start talking about Jesus, there will not be a neutral response with people. Have you ever noticed that? You start talking about Jesus, you will either get revival and people will come to faith, or you're going to get a riot where people are just mad at you because they just don't like the whole, the whole thing about Jesus. And that's what's happening here. So they fled. 
and please note, it's not faithless to run for your lives. You know, sometimes we can over-spiritualize and go, I'm just going to stick it out here for the glory of God. No, run. <laughs> I mean, just get out of town. I mean, you know, well, they want to kill you. There's a plot to kill you. They're, they're, you know, they're, they're opposing you at this point. Go to the next town. So, so they, they leave. They run. And they come to Lystra. So that's the next town. Uh, on the map. They, they go south of, from Iconium to Lystra. And in verse 8, it says, In Lystra there sat a man crippled in his feet who was lame from birth and had never walked. Now, before we note what happens to this guy, I want you to notice what doesn't happen here in Lystra. Different from the other places they went. First thing it says in the other cities is they went to the Jewish synagogue where they preached. There's no mention of a Jewish synagogue in the city of Lystra, which means this, that there are not at least 10 Jewish men living in this city. Because in order for there to be a synagogue in a city, there had to be at least 10 Jewish men. That was just the number that they determined in order to build a synagogue. So it is absent of a Jewish presence as we move here into Lystra and Derby, And I mention that because you're going to see here how Paul will use a different tact to try to present the gospel. Because he doesn't have Jews who understand Jewish history and Jewish scripture. He's got pagan Gentiles who don't know the first thing about the Bible and about God and Jewish history and Jesus. So here we go. So here in Lystra, there was a man crippled in his feet who was lame from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, stand up on your feet. And at that, the man jumped up and began to walk. So this is a miracle. And God is using Paul. There's nothing magical about Paul. Anytime there is a miracle that is performed, it is because a human person is a vessel or a conduit that God is flowing through. Okay, There's nothing special about Paul or about any human vessel. It is God who is doing this miracle, but this is an incredible miracle because he's been crippled from birth, never walked in his life. Try to imagine this, every ligament, every bone, everything, because if he's never walked in his life, you know, no, no doubt his muscles have atrophied, so he's, he's lying there, and, and you have to imagine everything, every ligament, every muscle, every bone is coming back into place. And this guy stands and he walks and it becomes a testimony now. Look at verse 11. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, which is God working through Paul, they shouted in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus. And Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. Okay, notice what's going on here. Let me keep reading and then we'll come back. Verse 14. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd shouting, Men, why are you doing this? We too are only men, human like you. Okay, so here's here's the story. The people of Lyconia, again, there's no Jewish presence. There's no synagogue. These people are not religious. They are pagan uh, worshipers of Zeus and Hermes and all the other polytheistic gods of the Roman Greco period. Okay, that's all that they know. 
Now, there is the legend of Lystra, and history tells us this, so I'm going to share it with you. The legend of Lystra is that on an occasion, Zeus and Hermes had previously visited Lystra, and they were not recognized by the people of Lystra. Okay, this is historical legend about the legend of Lystra, okay? That Zeus and Hermes appear in Lystra. They were not recognized by the people of Lyconia, except by two. The book of Acts is awe-inspiring as you see the Christian church take off. You see these frightened disciples who had scattered, rallied together, and then spread out beyond their borders. It takes great faith to do what these believers did, just like it takes great faith to spread the word today. How are you engaging with this series so far? Do you have any questions or concerns? If so, feel free to email us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. We'd be happy to hear your prayer requests, too. Are you living in or visiting the Leesburg, Virginia area? We'd like to invite you to come join us this Sunday for a time of worship, Bible study, and fellowship at Cornerstone Chapel. You can find our service times and other information when you visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. You'll also find previous messages from Pastor Gary and links to download our mobile app. Just look under the Teachings tab. Once again, that website is cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks so much for tuning in and hearing some things from the book of Acts that we hope inspire you. We look forward to you joining us again here on Cornerstone Connection.